Hey caffeinators, welcome to the Vet Tech Cafe. The Vet Tech Cafe is a podcast centered around veterinary technicians and nurses, hosted by myself, Dave Cowan, and my good friend, Jeff Backus. We strive to discuss current issues facing our profession and give our colleagues a voice and a medium to enter into these discussions. Our guests are experts in the veterinary field that we hope can help our listeners work towards dealing with these issues, as well as coming up with solutions that can lead to change. If you have a question, comment, or would like to be a guest on the Vet Tech Cafe, please contact us at vettechcafe at gmail.com, or you can find us at our website, vettechcafe.com. One thing we would ask of you, our listeners, is to rate and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. We're not exactly sure how or why this helps us, but apparently it does. So without further ado, come on in, grab yourself a cup of coffee, and get ready for another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. Caffeinators, welcome to another episode of the Vet Tech Cafe. We're not a cat cafe, but we're not a dog cafe either. We're we're all of the above. So bring whatever pet you bring have. Your ponies. We've got room for them. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can hitch them up outside. <laughs> um, we'd like to thank all of our caffeinators for your continued support of our podcast. Um, I think Dave, we got to meet a lot of cool people the last couple of months. Some yeah, we guests, um, Some some listeners for you know, different conferences we've been at and everything. So thank you everybody for your support. Um, we've got a new couple of new Patreons. If you listen to our recent tap room episode, um, thank you very much, Karen Roach for jumping on board. Um, and, and my mom as well, Sue Backus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but thank you everybody for your continued support. Uh, and if you're new to the, uh, vet tech cafe, Head over to vettechcafe.com. It's got all of our info and why we do this podcast and who we are. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and then we also have a YouTube channel where we post the video of our live recordings of our tap rooms. So definitely follow along. If you have an idea for an episode or a guest you would want us to talk to or to be a guest, or just a topic you think would be something that, that would be good discussion, but you don't know who we should talk to about it, just email us. We'll figure out how to make it Our happen. Our guest today um, is somebody that people are... suggested yeah. that, that we should talk exactly. to. So, yeah. And, and sometimes these end up being like the, the coolest episodes. So definitely, if you've got an idea, don't hesitate to send it on over to us. So, uh, Dave, how's it going out there? What's on your mind? Uh, it is getting chilly here in North Carolina. Um, it, it reminds me a little bit of New England where – you know, this fall time and the springtime, like some days it is 20 degrees and then some days it's 80 degrees. Um, we've had that recently where one day I woke up to do barn chores and it was 25 degrees and two days later it was 85. So the weather is all over the place here. Um, but would you, would you say the weather outside is frightful? <laughs> oh, man. I had you to. had to, I had yeah. To. <laughs> and actually, we did turn on the fire last night because it was chilly. So, and and that nice. was delightful. I, I'm, I'm mm. gonna I'm gonna fall into your little little trick there. I love it. Uh, but things things it. are good here. How are things going out there? Uh, really well. Um, it's uh, it's kind of sort of cooling down a little bit. Um, you know, we moved into a new home a couple months ago, and our block. Uh, I guess the holidays are a big thing for the entire block, and they did a big lighting ceremony not ceremony but like a big like outdoor block party lighting thing and they have they actually have like i guess on each side of the street probably six houses in a row all go in on like having their homes decorated by somebody that comes and do it does it but they like string lights across the street from one house to another 
And then like yet like yesterday was like the big thing where everybody was outside and brings food and like the lights come on and whatever. So it's kind of our first time experiencing that. That was actually really cool to kind of see and meet some neighbors. It and, sounds like and you moved into the perfect neighborhood for your Christmas love. It did. I mean, it kind of yeah. It's it's kind of like a, maybe uh, you would hate it, but uh, but I I I think I'm gonna love it. And my daughter was just like blown away by all the lights. So that's good. That's um, good. I, I think it's I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah. So yeah. So holidays are coming. Um. So I, I think we'll we'll just jump right in here. I, I think we've got another really great episode today. Um. As you were saying a moment ago, this is another one that somebody kind of put us in touch with and, and recommended. We have Bill Wade coming by the Vet Tech Cafe today. So uh, Bill um, was in the military. He uh, went through a veterinary specialist course uh, at the School of Aerospace Medicine at Shepard Air Force Base in Texas in 1974. Was it was was at uh, Essex Community College in Maryland and got his veterinary technology degree in uh, in 1988. Um, and then worked as a veterinary specialist in the U.S. Air Force from 1974 to 1983, and then an animal care specialist in the U.S. Army from 83 to 94. Um, he is a certified uh, animal technician in South Carolina in 1983 and an LVT in New York in 1985, and then an RVT through Alaska in 1992. And a former president of NAVTA, um, 1988 and 1996. Um, so we got a lot to talk about. Um, <laughs> it, like I, th I think we could Strap have in, probably Cavaniers. multiple hour discussion. We're going to try to cover a lot of ground here because I think specifically, you know, um, Veterans Day was this past weekend, and that was kind of the impetus of trying to time this episode. And because of my travel issues. We're doing this a little bit late. It's going to release a little bit late, but we're going to talk a lot about all that cool stuff today. So, Bill, without any further ado, what can we get you for a cup of coffee? I see you drinking from a mug over there. Yeah, I won't tell you what's in it, but it's <laughs> one fifteen here in North Carolina. So, Understood. I like it. <laughs> My wife got me this cup, and it used to say, it looks like a coffee cup, of course. But it used to say probably bourbon on it. <laughs> we gotta have him on for the tap room so that <laughs> yes. gets out of the bag <laughs> yeah yeah i like it i like it um no, if you tea. don't mind okay all right <laughs> tea, tea with maybe plus or minus bourbon in it yeah 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 <laughs> depending on the, the way the conversation goes um if you don't mind take us through your career path kind of what got you started in veterinary medicine? I kind of, of course, talked about a few things along the way, but, you know, just kind of the, the winding part of your career and, and what you're doing now. Boy, I tell you, um, when you guys got touching me and I started thinking, I usually don't sit around and think about this much, the, the bygone days and things like that. But uh, when I hear those things mentioned, first of all, I realize how old I am now <laughs> and then I then I stop and think, holy mackerel! I really, yeah, I did all that. So early on, I'm I'm originally from Western New York, south of Buffalo, and I spent my first four or five years there, and then moved to Long Island. But I always loved the agricultural aspects of where I came from, specifically dairy farming. Mm -hmm. So that's where I kind of started, and I just loved it. Then I did it. And I quickly realized that this is way too much work. <laughs> it's way too stressful. Um, but I loved it. And so when I got out of high school, um, I tried college. And I obviously just wasn't 
ready for that, whether academically or matureness, whatever the case may be. So my father said, well, when I was in your situation, um, I joined the Air Force and it gave me the opportunity to get my college degree, start myself on a career path that I was interested in. So I said, well, you know, what the heck? <laughs> I was engaged to be married at the time, so I figured I'd better do something. <laughs> um, so I went to the recruiter on Long Island. And back then, this is I enlisted early in late 73. So I'm going through the book, and he's he's trying to push me towards these specific jobs, you know, missile mechanic. And, and I'm like, no. I said, I have no mechanical skills whatsoever. <laughs> you know, I can work on a tractor a little bit, but that's about it. Um, so it gets way down to the bottom of the list, and it says veterinary specialist. And I said, wow. You know, I'd, I'd hung out with the uh, large animal vet back home. <clears throat> we were always taking my animals, our animals. We are the kind of family, like two brothers, we were always bringing critters home. We had a pet raccoon for crying out loud, <laughs> but my mother loved, still does love animals. She's 98 years old next month. And I would always go to the vet with her. So I was in the back of my mind, I think had this inclination that that was something I'd like to do. So I said, what about this veterinary specialist? He said, yeah. He said, you can sign up, um, so I did. I went in in March. I uh, went to basic training, of course, Lackland Air Force Base, and then up to Wichita Falls, Texas, the cultural epicenter of the universe. <laughs> and <laughs> and that's where I did tech school. And back then, it was a combination of the Air Force especially had two primary uh, jobs or missions. One was animal medicine. And the other was food inspection. So we were trained to do food inspection and animal medicine. I was there for 16 weeks. So as you might expect, it's a pretty intense, crammed-in crash course in what the expectations were. And then when you got to your first assignment, that's when you started training under a, a DVM, an officer, and senior technicians and things like that. So... If you, if you don't want to be bored too much, I can tell you where I started and where I went. Because <laughs> as Dave mentioned, I heard guys talking early, and he's like, wow, he's been everywhere. Yeah. Well, that was, that was part and parcel of the, uh, of the job. So they sent this kid from New York to southern Georgia uh, for my first assignment. And uh, from there, I went to Omaha, Omaha Nebraska. And then to southern Italy for three years. Wow. So so these are the types of things that um, I likely never would have experienced in the – you could see me doing my quotes, civilian yeah. world. Yeah, right. And it was phenomenal. And the thing about being overseas as a military vet clinic, so to speak, is that you could provide more services than you could – in the States, because in the States, there's plenty of practitioners around the local area where they can go. And we had limited uh, scope of practice anyway. 
our primary focus was zoonotic diseases and vaccinations and some surgeries. But with regards to animal medicine, our primary mission was the military working dogs or any other government-owned animals. So, But in Italy, we could do a little bit more because there wasn't as much option in the civilian sector around the installation for veterinary medical care. So we were doing surgeries. We had spay and neuter clinics and things like that. So, And oddly enough, when I was in Italy, my, my veterinarian was a young lady from uh, Missouri, graduated from the University of Missouri. And she said, my husband's coming over. I'm going to get married. My husband's coming over. He just happened to be <laughs> the department chair and the head of orthopedic surgery at the University of Missouri School of Veterinary Medicine. Oh. So I'm like, man. So I got to scrub in on some stuff that just, you know, you, you wouldn't ordinarily see in a day-to-day military practice. Osteotomies, uh, you know, you name it. Mm. Um, so the experiences were awesome. And in 1982, Congress decided to dis- disestablish the Air Force Veterinary Service. I guess they f- felt it was too much to have two simultaneously going because the Army had one and the Air Force had one. So I think it, I think ultimately it was probably a money-saving endeavor. So at the time that happened, I was uh, at another uh, paradise on Earth called Grand Forks, North Dakota. And so that that was my punishment for being on the Adriatic coast of southern Italy for three years, you know? Yeah, a little bit different. <laughs> so, and by that time, the Army had taken over all animal medicine services for the Department of Defense. I had a young captain, Army captain, showed up, and I was working with him. And we were out doing a barn call for some horses or something once. He said, well, why don't you, why don't you think about going in the Army as a, as a technician? And... I didn't want to laugh at him at that moment, but I'm, think, I'm thinking, why would I do that? And then I started thinking about it. I'm almost 10 years in, halfway to a 20-year career, and I thought, well, you know, i got two young sons, you know, is, is another one of those, I guess, life choices, if you will. So I started to look into it, ultimately finding out that there were no provisions for enlisted personnel to make a transfer. The... DVMs, the officers, could do it automatically because all of a sudden the Army was in charge of every installation around the world, be it Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, Army, um, to provide these services. Again, this isn't just for pets of families. This is all the military animals, all the government-owned animals around the world. So um, I looked into it. Like I said, there were no provisions, so I, I literally went to my state congressman and senator and said, you know, I'd like to continue my career doing this particular job, but doesn't exist in the Air Force anymore. So he looked into it, and um, I was sitting in the uh, office up at Grand Forks one day, and I got a phone call. I found out that they'd got my paperwork, my request. And I got a phone call, and it was this colonel. And he said, Sergeant Wade, he says, um, we've got your application here to join the Army Vet Service. He says, I just wanted to call and let you know that it's been approved. 
and we've got two installations we'd like to send you to. And I've told this story a thousand times, but for the longest time, I couldn't remember what the first one was because all I heard was Myrtle Beach Air Force Base, South Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually made him repeat it because I'd been in the Air Force almost 10 years and I couldn't get to Myrtle Beach, so I joined the Army. And the first thing they do is they send me to Myrtle Beach by myself. I was what was termed at the time one of these super techs uh, was middle range enlisted. And they didn't have enough people, obviously, to cover all the bases. So they sent senior technicians to these places by themselves. So I was there two and a half years. I had eight military working dogs, and I was able to provide basic uh, zoonotic health services to uh, family pets. I could do vaccinations. So again, these are things that ordinarily would not take place in the civilian practice of technician being able to uh, essentially diagnose fecals and heartworms and stuff like that. So Hmm. that that was the end of my Air Force career. Do you want to... You want to take a break before I go into the army? <laughs> <laughs> I, I have a couple of questions before we before we move on. Was there sure. was there ever any? Uh, I don't want to say risk. That's not the right word. But was there ever any um, possibility of you having to go into combat? Oh, because um, seventy three was like the end of Vietnam, and there was really wasn't anything until like the late eighties, right? Correct. It was at the time. It was very very unlikely. Mm-hmm. It was not impossible, certainly, but. In, in this job, which is obviously one of the most unique jobs in the military, yeah. um, it would have been extremely unlikely. I mean, th- there were uh, technicians who were not obviously on the front lines, but in, oh heck, can't even remember the name of them now, <laughs> but the, the, the backwards units, the support units mm-hmm. in, uh, taking care of wounded uh, dogs back then, they were called sentry dogs. Um, so there were those, certainly those people there, but for me, now you're right. This is the end of Vietnam and, uh, things are pretty much over. I'm just thinking back to my, to my career in the technicians that I've worked with and thinking of them on the front lines. And Mm -hmm. some of them I, I, I could confidently say would, would do okay. And then there's others that I was be like, Oh no, that would not work out at all. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Well, I've certainly known a lot of these people over my career, and uh, I tell you what, it's uh, <clears throat> it's it's a, an experience, I'm sure, unlike anything, and uh, I have nothing but the utmost respect for the folks who have to do that stuff. And it's just because uh, I've heard stories, I've seen people, Walter Reed and things like that. It's just um, it's, it's it can be a little bit unnerving yeah. to. Uh, hear some of these things and see some of these things, but, um, yeah, just, just overwhelming respect for these guys and these ladies, these people, these folks who do this, uh, it's phenomenal, phenomenal. Yeah. I was going to ask when I was kind of going through a little bit of your CV there at the beginning, how it went from you going from the army to the air force. Um, you know, did you have to like, did you, retire and re-enlist or, or but it sounds like it was more or less a direct transfer but like probably a unique process even for them to have somebody do that i would imagine oh yeah totally unique in fact ultimately there are only two of us 
whoever did it from the Air Force, and we ultimately both ended up as instructors at the Army Technician School at Walter Reed. Um, it was a lateral transfer, which meant I lost no time in service, no time in rank, which I would not have done it otherwise, obviously. Right. So, it, yeah, it ended up being across the board, um, straight transfer. Got it, got it. And then, so in the, then in the, uh, I'm sorry, did you go from Air Force to Army or Army to Air Force? Other way around. Air Force to Army. Yeah. Air Force to Army. So then in the Army, was it like, were you essentially doing a lot of the same things you were doing in the Air Force? Or like, did your did your job description, quote unquote, change a little bit too? My job description actually changed quite a bit because what happened was I, I was at Myrtle Beach and the following year I was <clears throat> selected to go to what they call the Advanced 91 T course. So what they were doing is they were bringing these mid-range enlisted personnel back to, at the time, Walter Reed uh, for advanced training, because as I mentioned, a lot of these folks were out there by themselves providing veterinary medical care. So you went back for this uh, 10-week advanced course. So I think I was in the third course, the third one. And uh, I'd only been to the Army for about a year. So I had all brand new uniforms and all this other stuff. And everybody else had their uniforms they'd had for 10 years <laughs> or something. And so I kind of stood out. And then when they found out it was prior Air Force, I mean, there was no mercy, absolutely no mercy for me. But while I was at the school, we, we all had to do a uh, presentation at some point because not only were they teaching you advanced skills, but they were preparing you for being in charge of other people and training other people and being uh, supervisors and leaders and taking on greater responsibilities. So we all had to do a presentation for the class and I did mine and I don't even remember what it was on and graduated and went back to Myrtle Beach and got a phone call one day from the officer in charge of the school. And he said, we're interested in whether or not you consider coming up to be an instructor. And there was another one of those I didn't have to think about for more than like five seconds. Then I said, absolutely, I would love to. So packed up and uh, went off to Walter Reed, which was at the time the Walter Reed Army Institute of Research, and the school was there. And um, so that's when I first got into technician education, and that's where all the other opportunities start to take place. I was going to meetings and conferences. And in fact, when I was still at Myrtle Beach is when you mentioned I got my first <clears throat> certification as an animal technician, <laughs> which <laughs> they subsequently have changed, I'm sure. Um, but that's when I first started going to, at the time, with Eastern States Veterinary Conference down in Florida. That's when I met Pat Navarre <clears throat> and Carly Decker and the folks from NAFTA. So I was communicating back and forth with them, and I was trying to get um, more military personnel interested in the professional organization and being more visible and, and trying to create more opportunities for them. So that's kind of where that all started. And um, so when I was at the school, then I was going to AVTE meetings, 
and I was really starting to associate and meet and learn and integrate with all the other programs across the country. And that's when I started making the transition towards that. In addition to, because of where I was, um, a lot of the focus was on biomedical research. So I, I got into those areas of the profession almost simultaneously, so to speak. It's like during this time, um, so, you know, assuming we're we're going from, from the 70s now and through the 80s, like <laughs> while you're in the military uh, and having this role with the Air Force and then the Army, like, did you know what veterinary medicine looked like for technicians outside of the military? Like until this time, had you had much contact with other people in the field and kind of know what the landscape looked like? Probably not until the early 80s. Okay. Um, as I mentioned, when I when I started to get more involved with the um, profession as a whole, I mean, meeting those people and finding out what was going on, because I was very interested in seeking out opportunities or at least pathways for military personnel to take advantage of or look at, at least consider when they went back into the civilian world. Because I'd, I'd found out about certifications, I'd found out that you could get your license, et cetera. Back in the days when there were still grandfather clauses and things like that. Uh-oh. So I, I was meeting with NAFTA folks, Pat Navarre and Carlene in particular, and talking to them about what can we do to um, get the word out. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of military technicians who I think would um, be served well by this kind of a relationship and, and this kind of information. So before that, probably not because I didn't interact um, sure. much with them sure. until early, the early 80s. And I started going to local meetings of the, uh, it was the Grand Strand Veterinary Association or something like that. <laughs> that's, that's, when I, that's when I first met Dr. Richard Ford, who ultimately became very close with the development of NAFTA publishing the first journals. Then, of course, he went on to be the dean of the vet school at NC State. Just phenomenal guy. Just still friend of this day. Just uh, did amazing work. And he was a Air Force veterinarian as well and actually stayed in. I don't want to talk about him too much because he'd find out about it. Get all <laughs> big-headed. But, but he stayed in the reserves and ultimately became a brigadier general. Um, those folks definitely helped direct me in the path of service in the profession, getting the word about technician education and all of the stuff that we went through back then to um, try to advance the profession. And so, uh, like I said, those things kind of almost simultaneously happened in the mid-80s. You you said in there, um, you said hundreds of people. I was kind of wondering in my mind, like how many, how many people, you know, would have this I mean, I guess I can see it being, you know, all over, but like, also, I can also see it, you know, if, if, if the Air Force closed it down, probably not yeah. very many people doing it. So like, you know, how, how, how many colleagues did you have, quote unquote? You yeah. Know? Um, don't quote me on this, but I, I'm trying to, th- I, I want to say that back then there was probably about 800 to a thousand, maybe. Wow. Oh, wow. Like, okay. Something like that. I don't know if that number is still sure. current, but at the time... 
that sounds about right to me, but enough to me anyway, to think that um, they needed to be part of the profession on the larger scale. So at one point when I was at Walt Reed, I I was really pushing the topic um, as much as I could. And at one point I actually became the advisor to the uh, Surgeon General of Veterinary Services on veterinary technician issues, because I figured if we're going to get these folks opportunities, then the people at the highest levels of this organization needed to know about it. So, you know, I got to go downtown and meet with, with at the time, him a couple of times about this. And, you know, I'm not going to say it, it was earth shattering or anything like that, but I'm sure at least I knew at that time that they were aware, if nothing else. Well, was there a time where, like, I don't want to jump ahead too far, but was there a time where you were done with, like, military service and then went into private practice where you, like, worked at a, I don't want to say just like a, a general practice, but worked somewhere non-military? Yeah, actually, uh, when I was at Myrtle Beach, I worked part-time at a local oh, okay. small animal practice a few days a week. And at the time, I was an only <clears throat> certified technician. And very nice uh, veterinarian I worked for. I wish I could remember her name. <laughs> but she's, she, she was very nice to me. She allowed me to do things that, um, according to the state of South Carolina anyway, I was qualified to do. And uh, so, that yeah, that was nice. I think I, I worked there for about a year or so. How would you say the difference, like, like what are the differences between military veterinary practice and private practice? Is there much difference or is it? There's there's slight difference. Um, we didn't have to reuse our syringes and our slides and our fecal <laughs> tests. Uh, we, we, we didn't have to wash. You guys know what I'm talking about. I do. I do um, actually. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, we didn't have to do that. But obviously our overhead was certainly not as significant as a, a practice. But um, other than that, you know, Medicine-wise, no, no, not a lot of difference. I think just the logistics of the way we did things was probably a little different. And the clientele, obviously. The clientele, yeah. 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 Not that yeah. ours can be quite demanding at times and, uh, and bring us uh, uh, our fair share of uh, angst and uh, anxiety. But um, no, for the most part, was, there's not a lot of difference. Well, why don't we take our break here? Um, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll do our ad and then we'll come back after the break. The Vet Tech Cafe is sponsored by BetterHelp. Caffeinators at the Vet Tech Cafe, you know we like to focus on mental health. If you're struggling with depression, burnout, compassion fatigue, or any of the other mental health challenges we discuss on our podcast, getting professional help is a great first step. We all need help with things like learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries, which empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major mental health challenges. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Dave, I've used BetterHelp. Um, I had really good success with it. I really like that it was entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional cost. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist, and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. They really make it easy for you to get the help you need. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. 
Visit BetterHelp.com slash VetTechCafe today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash VetTechCafe. It's time to invest in yourself. Be well, caffeinators. Welcome back to the Vet Tech Cafe, everybody. The cafe that will take currency from all countries. Italy. Uh, I can't remember where else we talked. It's not crypto. Just not crypto. Yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, well, we like to focus a lot on mental health, and uh, without stepping on your toes, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that you are a generation <laughs> older than Jeff and I are, and probably and well, because you you were. When you started your career, I was just being born, uh, which I don't get to say very often here. Um, usually, usually it's the other way around. I'm used to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm used so to it. In, in thinking about mental health, you know, when Jeff and I were growing up, and probably you as well, that mental health was not really talked about and wasn't really a, a focus. Um, it was one of those things that we kind of kept hidden. Um, so talk to us about mental health. Did you ever have any mental health struggles or... How, how do you manage your mental health day to day? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, uh, well, you're right. Back when I was growing up, uh, I think we were kind of oblivious to just about everything. Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I was I was born in 1954, so I was I grew up in the 60s. I was a hippie. Uh, <laughs> <clears throat> we were pretty, like I said, we were pretty oblivious to a lot of things. Um, but, yeah, I certainly had issues of anxiety and things like that. Um, mm -hmm. I never hesitated to talk about the fact that I had to seek counseling and uh, therapy and things like that, which helped tremendously. And I think it was just a point where a lot of things were going on at the same time. A lot of pressure, a lot of changes, you know, the typical things that bring yeah. anxiety. And so, yeah, but I was very fortunate that um, I had a great support mechanism both at home and it works, particularly in the service. I mean, I just, uh, there's, there's a, I know people talk about it a lot, but there's a common, there's a common bond because there's a common um, mission, if you will, that uh, every, regardless of what your specialty was, you know, everybody was there for a kind of a singular purpose, but we had different jobs and different responsibilities, but um, the, uh, the, the support mechanisms within uh, the military, for me anyway, were phenomenal. I mean, there's the, I've, I've got close friends that I've known for almost 50 years now, I guess, uh, that I've worked with, was stationed with, some for a few years, some for seven years, you know. And I keep in touch with them to this day. So, yeah, I think I was lucky in that respect that um, it was just this always seemed to be like this cohesive <clears throat> group of folks around that were maybe sometimes having issues with the same things. And we, we talk about it. We just, we might sit around, have a few beers and talk about it, but we talked about it. And uh, I always knew that they were there if I needed something and they knew I was there. If they needed something and, and you know, it, um, it worked. It, it worked. We went through a couple of rough patches with a few of my friends and, uh, but we were there for them. We took care of them, and because we knew they would have done the exact same thing if we needed it. So no, that's great. That's great to hear. Um, so uh, 
thinking about your career and and your your path <clears throat> and and thinking about the veterinary technician profession as a whole right now just i mean we we've barely even touched <laughs> on a lot of the stuff that you've done um where do you see the profession right now what are the the things that are working what are the things that we need to fix um and how do we fix it all between the three of us <laughs> <laughs> well i tried once um we all tried i think yeah i think so you know, yeah. it's uh, it's um it's very interesting to me because I have the opportunity obviously to look back on a lot of this history because I was there for a good deal of it. I remember when the special I'm, well I remember as far back as changing the terminology and and the struggles yeah. that we had with that. Just just getting the AVMA on board took just forever and a lot of negotiating, a lot of meetings. A lot of discussions, and we had some good allies on the executive board at the time, so that that happened. Um, and then when the as things progressed, we evolved a little bit. It took a long time, and the specialties and things like that came around. I remember signing off on the first specialty, which is what you guys both are. Yeah, uh, yeah. emergency critical care. That was the first one because I remember my old buddy Harold Davis. He was uh, yeah instrumental. And I'm sure you know Harold. Yeah, um, he's been, yeah, he's been yeah, on, he's the been on the show. Too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. he's he's the man. Um, yeah, yeah. So, a lot of things have changed. I certainly don't want to seem. Well, I'm not even going to say defeatist or anything like that. But I think you probably know where I'm going with this. So much, so much has changed for the profession. Evolved. Um, for the better. So many things are so much better. And I, I was at the NCAVT meeting uh, last month down in uh, Charlotte, and we were talking back and forth at a career panel. And I said the same thing. I said, you know, I asked the audience how many of them have been in the profession for 10 years, 15, 20 years. And there are a few folks that have been doing this for 30 plus years. And mm -hmm. I said, you know, I never would have heard that 30 years ago. I wouldn't have heard about people right. being in this job for 20, 30 years, because uh, it didn't happen. I think the average time span was like five to eight years, maybe. But that's before. the stats that we've seen floated around. Yeah, here. correct. Um, so I think so much has progressed, but I just continually hear when I, and that's why I enjoy going out still to meetings and conferences and when I get the opportunity just to hear what, technicians are experiencing and saying now because unfortunately i still hear a lot of the same things that i heard 40 years ago um we don't get to do what we're yeah. trained to do the salaries i mean you guys know so obviously i think there's still a tremendous amount of work to be done there and i just heard about the uh when i was down at that meeting i heard about the nc state vet school thing uh, for technician week, and I'm like, you know, yeah. these are the kinds of things that, and you can understand why <laughs> the technicians are frustrated when things like that happen, because we did so much for recognition and unification and standardization and things like that, and we're still not there as far as I know. There was supposed to be this. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, this, I this I remember. We had a document in the early 2000s that um, we had the AAVSB, AVMA, everybody on board 
<clears throat> that there was going to be a standard practice act nationwide by 2007. And it, I don't think it ever oh. happened. I know it didn't happen. I know it didn't happen. That, right. that would have changed a lot of what we're dealing with now. Yeah. yeah. It, everybody had agreed that the terminology, the descriptions in the practice acts, the scope of practice for technicians or nurses, whatever, this is what it was going to be. And NAVTA had um, put that document together. Do you have any insight onto, onto why that didn't happen? I'm guessing it's got to do with the states and... It got stalled someplace. Yeah, the states. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. The AVMA has no power over the states. Um, right. The state boards can run practice however they want. You know, in North Carolina, just passed the um, uh, the practice act with the standardization of practice. So I wish I could tell you guys what the uh, what the answer was because I've been talking about this for forty <laughs> years. But you know, it's somewhere up there in the uh, grand scheme of things that somebody has control of that we don't. But I, I I do have to think that the relationship between technicians and practitioners, veterinarians and things like that has gotten much better. I think the recognition is much, much better than it used to be. Uh, my son's an RVT, went to Central Carolina. His wife is a veterinary ophthalmologist. So nice. they know. Um, <laughs> yeah. they, uh, we talk about that a lot. And he understands it, and he's seen it. And, uh, so... I'd never had the magic answer. I thought we had it a long time ago. But, you know, things move slowly, just like anything else. Anything well, especially else. when you're talking legislature, that's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, and that was kind of going to kind of lead me to my next question was, you know, you were talking about going to meetings and conferences and, and trying to get yep. some of this stuff done <laughs> way yeah. back then when, frankly, there was no email. There, there was no, <laughs> no. IM. Like, like. I mean, no like, cell phones. I, 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 we talked to Harold about this, I think, Dave, yeah. like, like, how do you even coordinate trying to start right. a specialty academy? Like, how, how do you even coordinate meeting with these people or find out who you even need to meet with? Um, and, and so I, I kind of want to use that to bridge the gap to like you being NAVTA president. Like what, what, yeah. what kind of led you to go down the, the NAVTA path or the, the, like, you know, that kind of involvement and, and. What did, you know, I, I haven't ever served on NAFTA. I'm a past president of the California RVT board, so I kind of have an idea about that. But I'm very curious about what that looked like then. Like, Well, uh, the first time uh, I was railroaded into it, actually. No, back then. <laughs> back then. I think that's how everyone gets into people. board positions, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, well. Even to yeah. this day, I think. Yeah. Oh. Uh, no, back then that there weren't a lot of people to choose from. Actually, no, I I got involved at that point um, because I'd been meeting with uh, Pat and Carlene and a lot of the NAVTA executive board and things like that, and they just said, "Would you be interested?" And I said, "Yeah, I, I would because I want to see things progress." And I had the support mechanism behind me too because um, the army would pay me to go wherever wherever I needed to go. So I just I just thought that um, why, why not? I mean, I I'll try to do the best I can. I I understand the issues. I, I I agreed with the vision of NAFTA where they think uh, they thought things needed to go, and I was willing to 
talk with anybody I needed to talk to and try to get the this network um, established and bring all the states together. At the time when I was back then, it was Canada too. So <clears throat> we oh. we met with our Canadian colleagues and things like that. We just we just wanted to at the time establish a foundation that future technicians could build on and we could continue to bring them all together as a profession, not a not paraprofessionals. I never did like that term. And I mm-hmm. and I, yeah. I didn't hesitate to tell people today if may I didn't like that term. This is a profession. So we wanted it to be recognized as such. And we just at that time we just wanted to get the word out and build this um organization and bring all the states together as much as we could so and i just that's right because back then it, it was the north american vet tech association correct right? correct and then canada uh, got their own association together don't yeah. remember when that was so yeah they're an independent uh group now but you know yeah just i saw it as an opportunity to maybe even if i wasn't any good at it just the opportunity to get to get to know more about what this all meant and meet these people and and find out as much as I possibly could about the profession and where it was, where it could go, and how do we get there. I mean, I got to meet with my colleagues from the British, the BVNA, British Nursing Association, Canada, Australia. It was just... You know, and and we talked about the same things. We talked about the same things, and it was um, just a phenomenal experience. And uh, that got me into speaking at conferences and whatever else. And I just uh, I just enjoyed it immensely. It was a lot of fun, <laughs> a lot of headaches, a lot of phone calls, a lot of paper. Sure, yeah, that's what yeah. happened. I remember yeah. the document that Harold Davis sent in. It was about three inches thick. <laughs> For the, for the emerging critical care specialty, it was just, but that's how we did it. It was just, and then we had to make copies yeah. and pass it around for everybody to review. And uh, so, yeah, phone calls, letters, I mean, typewriters. I mean, God, sounds like some of the Smithsonian, but that's, that's what that we had to do. Is still somewhere? <laughs> it, it should be yeah. safe for posterity somewhere. He, like he, in the archives. should have a copy. Yeah. He should have a I'm, copy. I'm sure he does. Well, there's one someplace. I'm sure he does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I so hope. Will, what, what, what are you doing now? Like, what is your, what does your career look like right now? Fully retired. I mean, I, okay. I retired from the military. I got into academia. There's something else that I would never have done if I hadn't had the experience in the military. So I went to Purdue University, Northwestern University, managing large. Uh, biomedical facilities and then ended up at Duke when I was here for 17 years and retired in September, 2020. So now I work a couple of days part-time at Hope Valley Country Club in Durham and the rest of the time I do whatever I want, watch Disney nice. movies and, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I figured it's, <laughs> yeah, it's and about that's, that's time. Yeah. Another thing that it's is not time. common, you know, the somebody that retires. And we, we talked about that with Harold, right, Jeff, of, yeah, who who actually retires in this field? It it just doesn't happen, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I would say 
of the people I know, it, it, they're predominantly out of academia, like for research. Yeah. We've got tenure or something like that. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And a good mm-hmm. research. I, I was going to ask about that because you were a registered laboratory animal technician and you, 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 you kind of talked about getting into the biomedical side of things. So I, I kind of assumed yes. that's, that was what, yeah. yeah. So okay. gotcha. my career path after, yeah, that, that became my second. <laughs> yeah, I guess we are almost that. <laughs> yeah. We should, me and Dave should just yeah. meet at the Crunkleton over Chapel yeah. Hill and finish this up. I'm ready. <laughs> Sign me up. We're down at Dane's place on 9th Street. That's my favorite hangout. Oh yeah, let's that I'm I'm down for that. Get some chicken and waffles. Oh no, Danes. Not Danes. <laughs> That's good Danes. stuff. That's good stuff. Oh Danes. Danes, Danes yes. Yeah, yeah. That's another place. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. I thought you I thought you said Danes. Danes so, is in, in Durham proper. Correct. So yeah, I mean I I haven't even talked about that, but it's you know that's that's where I ended up. That was my career trajectory <laughs> after the military. It's just uh, academia and uh, facility management uh, teaching. I did teach med mm-hmm. tech at Purdue, so I got to do that as well, which is fantastic, great experience. And uh, so then I got into actually into compliance. For the last 10, 12 years or so, I was doing regulatory compliance at Duke. So, mm. yeah, it was great. Got to hang out at Duke Lemur Center all the time and, you know, had a good time. Yeah, that place had is a cool. Good time. Well, it sounds like you've had a very long and, and winding career. <laughs> long. Like, Jeff, this is probably one of the most traveled careers that we, we've We didn't we've even talk about to. Alaska. Yeah, but, you know, it goes to show, like, we talk about this all the time, that it's not just becoming a veterinary technician and, and working in a clinic. And then like there, there is so many different things you can do. And, and like, that's been true for 30 or 40 years. It's just, sometimes it's hard to find it. Sometimes you just end up in the right situation, yeah. the right place at the right time. But there truly is so many different things you can do. If you're, if you kind of hit an end point at one thing, you can still be a veterinary technician, but start, Oh. something new and 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 that's clearly been true for a long yeah. time it just oh, maybe no hard to find that. well no, i think the other the other thing that's important to note is is that you've had a very long and storied career started in the military and you can certainly do what you've done travel around and do all that stuff without actually having to oh, join sure. the military i'm not i'm not saying that that the only way to do this is to join the military that's just one avenue and and that's the whole point of this this podcast is that we want to highlight those things that people can do to to stay in this field because like, like you said earlier so many of it so many of our technicians are leaving yeah. after five to seven years five to eight years yeah. whatever it is um yeah. and and it's very rare to have somebody that has had quite the career that you have yeah and we know a lot of people that have gone into research yeah. after being in clinical medicine for a period of time and like that's the next stage or or the the you know the sunset of their career or however you want to describe it but they're they are infinitely more happy because uh, it's much less physically demanding job, or it's it's just different in a lot of ways, and far less clients I, I think to deal with too. I would imagine. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and so you know the research aspect of it too, I think, is really quite common. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but there are there are PIs. Yeah, there, yeah, there so. are people. We talk, I forget who we talked to that was, was doing a lot of lab work, and they said we're, it's. It's not that there's no clients. It's just that the clients are now corporations and, and uh, research people are not necessarily like people that live down the street. 
Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. And they're and they're fighting for grant money and they're Yeah, yeah. All right, well now we are down to your final question. This is the Vet Tech Cafe Would You Rather <laughs> question. Are you ready for okay. it? All right. So we've got I have three <laughs> questions loaded here. You have to tell me if you want one, two, or three. Split the difference and do two. We'll do two. All right. <laughs> Would you rather be super tall, like seven foot tall, but you can never sit down, or super short, like four and a half feet, and you can never stand up? Well, I'm six foot three. So Okay. Um I'd rather be tall than But you would never be able to s- sit down. I think I'd still rather be tall and not sit down. You didn't say I couldn't lie down. <laughs> so that's there's always a there's loophole. A loophole in these things. There's always there's a loophole. Always, there's, al- there's always a way out. And a veterinary technician will find yeah, it. Yeah, I think I'd rather because I'd prefer to be moving doing something than uh yeah mobile sitting yep. so i mean you know till i pass yeah. out then i'm lying down so and you wake back <laughs> up and you do that's it again. the loophole that's the loophole <laughs> i love it i love it um well bill thank you very much for your time first of all we we really appreciate the discussion and, and actually hearing a lot about like, yeah it, it's fascinating you know we talked to people from around the world on this podcast and, and you were kind of touching on this earlier about a lot of the same issues, you know, when you were talking to people in oh, British yeah. VNA and, and what have you, and you kind of had the, yep. the same issues. And the frustration is there that a lot of the same stuff is still as it was then. But also, like, we talked to a lot of people around the world from other countries, and it's the same way there, too, still. Like, we, we're still yeah. all fighting, you know, some of the same battles. So it's 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 good, it's good to hear some of the historical perspective. And sometimes it's frustrating, for sure, that, that things aren't <laughs> better. But as you mentioned, too. There are a lot of things that are a lot better, um, and that's that's worth noting too. Um, also, want to say is, is this is uh, you know just now past Veterans Day weekend. Thank you very much for sure. your service, and I want to call out a couple of veterinary technicians I worked with um, that were in the Army as well, April DeStefano um, and Logan Campbell, and then um, I also worked under Sean Mayjoy, uh, who is a veterinary criticalist at Tufts yeah. University and still um, in the Army as well. Um, so thank you all to, to them for their service. Dave, I know you have a couple people you wanted to shout out to. Uh, yeah, I, uh, Vanessa Vargas. Um, she was in the military, uh, Lisa Bunnell that, that I work with. Um, as, yeah, as do I currently. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sarah Ray, uh, I think that's all I can think of. I, I'm entirely sorry if I've forgotten somebody. Those are the three that were the first yeah. to come to the top of my head that that, that I know had yeah. military service. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. If you are, you know, currently in the military or or were previously, thank you very much for your yes. service. We genuinely appreciate it. And and if you were still active and in that role. Yeah, we want to hear from you. Us, shoot us an email. We'd love we'd love to hear yeah. about it. So um caffeinators, you guys take care. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye everybody. Hello, Caffeinators! We wanted to thank Dog Days Consulting for managing our social media and helping with the interior design here at the Vet Tech Cafe. They don't just do social media, they can help you identify your brand through brand coaching. The founder is a CVPM with 15 years experience in veterinary practice management. They are a small business proudly serving the veterinary community and we are thrilled to be working with them. Check them out at www.dogdaysconsulting.com. Hey, Caffeinators! 
We would like to thank you for listening to the Vet Tech Cafe podcast today. As everybody is well aware by now, we often talk about difficult issues that face our profession. In addition, we chat with colleagues and leaders in our field who have strong opinions of these issues. Those opinions expressed by either Dave or Jeff as the hosts, or those opinions expressed by our guests, are their opinions alone and do not represent any other person, business, institution, or any other entity inside or outside of the scope of veterinary medicine. If you have any questions relating to this, please email us at vettechcafe at gmail.com or visit our website, www.vettechcafe.com. Lastly, whatever platform you utilize to hear our dulcet tones, please rate and review our podcast and like and follow our Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn pages as well to see what we're up to. From all of us at the Vet Tech Cafe, have yourself a great day.